0: i to talk to you this morning, show you something from the Word of God about the joy of the Holy Ghost. How many have a King James Bible in your hand? Some about the, the King James Bible that's not in any other book, and that is that phrase, Holy Ghost. And there is a reason why sometimes it says Holy Spirit, sometimes it says Holy Ghost. And this morning I want to blow you away with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, if you'll get there. Really, this is an answer to a question. As I was reading through my New Testament, I enjoyed this thought that really is the answer to how to get Christian people happy. And I mean more than just happy. So here in Romans 15, verse 13, comes a very powerful verse, and it is an incredible statement. Look at these few words, 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy, And peace in just believing that you may abound in hope through the power of who? Of the Holy Ghost. That's an amazing statement. I mean, the God I know is the God of hope. I know you're supposed to fear God, but you know what? Once you understand who God is and how awesome he is and how terrifying he is, you you come to appreciate the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and the willingness of God to take your place where you should be judged. And it makes it all balance out where you realize he gives me hope and he wants to do more than just give me hope. He wants to fill me with something called what? Yes. Look at that word in front of joy. What's the word with all joy. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's comprehensible, but to fill you with all joy. Now, what the, what the Holy Ghost offers you is not just joy, but all joy. Joy is the most elusive feeling of the human heart. Most of us settle for the desire just to be happy for a while. But we expect it to be, we expect to be depressed most of the time. Happiness is not a bad thing to seek and to have. There's nothing wrong with being happy. We usually wish people all the happiness, don't we, when they get married. We say, oh, uh, uh, hope you're happy, hope you guys are happy. There's nothing wrong with that. But happiness cannot last, and happiness will never enable you to endure life. Kind of funny. Disappointments, frustrations, depressions all spring out of a lack of real, solid, substantial joy. Joy, then, is a substantial work of God's grace in your heart. I believe with all my heart. I've seen people who've had joy and they weren't saved, but that joy passed as soon as it came. I've seen people excited about winning the lottery. I've seen people thrilled to be married. I I appreciate all of that. But the joy of the Holy Ghost is something that doesn't just come and go. Joy is a substantial Work of God's grace in your heart. Substantial means something that is seriously strong. If I compared a sewer's thread with a sailor's rope, that's happiness. Bing. And that's joy. Joy is higher, better, longer lasting than passing happiness. By the way, joy is harder to find. Happiness when you compare it with joys like this. Happiness, by definition, is a brief feeling of pleasure or excitement, and I mean brief. Joy, however, is a prolonged sense of satisfied contentment. Say it again. Joy is a sense, a prolonged sense of satisfied contentment. That's joy. Happiness needs people, health, the economy, and even the weather all to be right for happiness to exist. (laughs) Although I meet some people who are just happy when the weather's bad. I don't know how there's something wrong with them. Joy, listen to me, only needs the presence of God. You see, happiness depends on so many things going right before it is active, but joy needs nothing to go right in the present because it only has a view towards the future which is in God's hand. Joy has a contentment even though nothing's going right. Now, how is it that Christians don't know this? How can it be that so many of God's people don't have joy and don't know how to express joy? Um, All cultures of this world crave more than a bit of fun and happiness. I find that people crave joy. You read it this week and you might have heard about it, but 391,603 medical card holders of Ireland were prescribed antidepressants in 2016. 400,000 people in one year were prescribed pills to help them not be depressed. You know what that tells me? People are desperate for joy. And those are just medical card owners. 13% of all American people, men, women, and children, 13% are on antidepressants. That's forty-three million people. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to get those things anymore. You may need, you know, a painkiller, you may need to put your arm in a cast, you may need that thing to get you through a real deep hole or whatever. I understand all kinds of reasons why we need medicines. Paul had a doctor for a friend. It's not a problem with doctors. What the problem is, is when that's all you've got. 20,000 heroin users here in Ireland. 20,000 heroin users in, in Ireland. Tell me that our nation's empty of joy. You know what? You find you find people. I mean, 40-year-old men playing Xbox. What's wrong with that? What's wrong is they're trying to have a bit of excitement, a bit of thrill. No joy. They come home from work depressed, so they got to go kill somebody on the computer. <laughs> Yeah, I feel better. There's <laughs> just an yeah, listen, I, I don't care who you are, I'm using an extreme, but there's almost by by more by modern people, there's almost a constant search for entertainment. What's on TV tonight? Find something to make me laugh. You ever notice that? They're looking for something. You're not gonna find it. You're gonna find a little happiness, you're gonna laugh for a little while. It's funny how vile our laughter turns to, though psychologists, social workers, counselors, politicians, and priests. I'm sure they all mean well, but they try to help people find happiness. But happiness is not what a heroin addict needs. Happiness is not what depressed, stressed out, or even suicidal people need. Our world needs joy. Surprisingly, there's more than enough available. (laughs) I think Christians lack joy because we have no idea has been available to us, and we don't know how to get it. We didn't even know it was there. What did it read? It says, God of hope, give you all joy. It's available. I find that first century Christianity was marked by joy. The mark of first century Christianity was joy. What was the mark of the beginning of Israel when they came out of Egypt? It was happiness. They rejoiced when things were going well, but they complained when things were going bad. They were marked only by happiness. When they, were, when they had manna on the ground, they were excited. When they only had manna on the ground, they were depressed. They only knew happiness. What does the first century Christians have? Joy you know they rejoiced when they got saved? Go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. They rejoiced when they got saved. If you didn't jump out of your seat and run around the room and shout and praise God, I wonder, did you get saved? Because I remember when I got saved, it changed my countenance. It changed my way of thinking, man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And he became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much what? There goes the prosperity gospel. They got saved while they were afflicted, while they were troubled, while they were being hunted, while they were being mocked, while they been being attacked, while they were being surrounded by, by unbelievers who were trying to stop them from getting saved. And, and, and in, in spite of all the health problems, the financial problems, it says they received the word in much affliction, but they received it with joy of who? The Holy Ghost. Not only did people in the first century, when they got saved, rejoice, but they rejoiced when they got persecuted. Go back to Acts chapter 5. Acts 5. In verse 41. Well, start in verse 40. Acts 5, verse 40. Acts 5, 40. And to him they agreed, they're talking to, but amongst themselves, this is the Sanhedrin, and when they called the apostles, and what? They didn't give them a hug. And had beaten them. They commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, weeping complaining, kicking the dirt. What does it say? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy that is his up for shame for his name. They rejoiced when they got in trouble for doing right. Amen. That's the mark of first century Christians. I wish it was the mark of 21st century Christians. They rejoiced when they were persecuted. They were just glad to be together. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 46. they just glad to be together. Galatians, I'm sorry, Acts 2.46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What was the mark of when they got together? They were glad. They're just glad to be together. And when it says meat, it doesn't mean steak, by the way just meant simple foods. So when they got together and they broke some bread, when they got together and they had some coffee, they had some tea, when they got together and they had some biscuits, when they got together and somebody pulled out some pasta or somebody, and they just fellowshiped, they, would, they didn't want to be anywhere else. It was that joy. They're just glad to be together. What's it like getting you out to church? Oh, come on, I don't like Joy. And they love giving out of their deep poverty. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. Wit is a good old word. It just means try to make you understand of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great blessing of God, right? That's what we wait for before we start giving. No. How then in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep, talk about the contrast. Affliction, joy, poverty. Watch what it says abounded under the riches of their liberality. That's a real liberal. Listen, I am no problem. You ought to all be liberal in your giving, in your loving, in your putting up with people. Liberal means you just give give and you give and you give and you give more than you think you can. The Bible says it was the abundance of the joy that said, I don't have anything, but I'll go find something to give. That's the mark of the first century Christians. What could have enabled such a supernatural way of life? Well, I'm going to say it. You've heard it over and over already this morning. It's joy, but it's more than just joy. It is the joy of the Holy Ghost. Turn back. Look at verse 1 now. I want to go through these verses real quick as just a way of background before we start digging into the concept of the joy of the Holy Ghost. We'll start after we pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, and I beg of you, God. I beg, I beg, I beg, please. Minister to your people this morning. Make us determined to move away from the desire for happiness. And not want joy, but want the giver of joy. Lord, it's the joy of the Holy Ghost we're working for this morning. We're seeking, we're yearning for. If only we understood it, if you would just help me. Help every ear and heart and mind to understand it. That you would thrill your people so that there's nothing, nothing more important than our relationship with you. Out of that will not only be hope, but will be joy. All joy. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for all that comes with it. Let us tap into it this morning. Let us know the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Joy. First of all, I want to say real plain is for believers as a church. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on Christians. Is that what it says? It doesn't say it's for the individual, although most people want it to be just for them. It is for people who bond together, who decide I'm going to be part of a group of believers called a church. Joy is for churches in Macedonia. Real Holy Ghost joy is not available to the individual Christian who's too proud to work alongside other Christians. Amen, amen, and amen. I just can't put up with Pastor Craig. Well, you're going to be one sourpuss for the rest of your life then. Real Holy Ghost joy is not available to spectators who sit in the gallery. I'm looking at the back row. I'm sorry. <laughs> who just sit and watch and are never there on Sunday nights or never here on Wednesday nights or never come out to soul winning. I'm not saying that where you can't be here, but I'm saying where you don't care to be here. And if you're just going to sit and be a spectator, if you're just going to sit and watch... You're not going to have the joy that comes when you put your all all in the family, folks. Real Holy Ghost joy is for those who invest their time. You said it takes time to come to church. It sure does. Just like it takes time to fix dinner, just like it takes time to clean it up, just like it takes time to mow the grass, it takes time to be a church. Those who invest their time and their hearts in other people who name the name of Christ. That's what a church is. I'm invested in you. And when we start to invest in one another, we become a church, and there's joy. I'm not saying that you come to church to get joy. You come to church, and you will get joy. Does that make sense? I I didn't get that, Pastor. Say it again. (laughs) I came to church. I didn't get anything out of it. But are you church? Are you coming to minister? Do you come to bless and to... To find a way to, to serve. If you do, if you come and you say, this is my church, there's a blessing there that just, you say, wow, that was great. Amen. That's what we need. It's a church, folks. Not a, this is not a sport where we come, we pay our, our ticket, our entry fee. We come in and we go home. No, this is who we are. And when you come and you pour your life in and you, you give of your time and yourself for others in the body. You know what happens? You come away blessed. It is awesome. It's for church. Church. Don't disregard all that God has for us when we glue ourselves together as a church. Your TV, your buddies, your tiredness, your hobbies he's never going to give you joy like being in church will be and like being the church will be. Amen? So he starts right off. He says, I'm going to tell you about some grace that God gave to some churches, not just some individuals. Secondly, it's best experience in the hard times. Keep going there in verse 2. How then a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy, there it was, right in the middle of that trial of affliction, their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and even what? Beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. Get the idea, here's, here's these Macedonians they have heard of a, a famine down in Jerusalem. And the, the believers down there were, were doing with, with very little. They were starving. It was a time where there was no government welfare. There was no subsidies. There was nobody to turn to. And these Macedonian Christians, nearly 600 miles away across, maybe 800 miles away across the Aegean Sea, over in Greece, heard about those Christians. They reached in their pockets. They had no coins. So he says, let's check the couch. And they got every penny that they could, and they said, Paul, this is for those Christians down in Jerusalem. And Paul says, no, I can't take your money. They said, please, and they prayed us with much entreaty, which means they begged us. And Paul says, you don't have this to give. And he says, but we want to give. That's God's grace. It's not, you don't enjoy joy in the good times. You enjoy happiness in the good times. And nothing wrong with that. You ought to have some happiness. You ought to have some times where it just... Follow that. It goes that. But there is joy when... Wow. The, the, the dark clouds rise and the ground drops out from under you and the disasters just roll over you and you smile. Joy is best experienced in the hard times. James... Hold your place here for a minute. Go after Hebrews comes James chapter 1 and verse 2. James chapter 1 and verse 2. (laughs) Only God can talk this way. (laughs) Brethren, count it all. That's a hard thing. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, those temptations could be temptations where the devil's trying to get you to quit. When you fall into temptations where where you feel like it's time to just stop living the Christian life and you want to live for the devil. When you are tripped up, when the devil comes in and pulls the rug out from under you and you are in the fall, in the midst of it, what does James say? Count it all joy. Why? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith is really only working what? We're getting a great gift in your life called patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. What's the next two words? When was the last time you sat back? And you said, "I don't need nothing. I don't need a new kitchen. I don't need a new husband. I don't need a new car. I don't need a new husband. I don't." Need. <laughs> when was the last time you looked at your house and you went, "It's perfect"? when you looked at your at your kids and said they're per- well, i can't say that anyway when you look at when you look at everything and you realize that trial and the patience in that trial you found joy and it perfected you and you sat back and you were perfectly content that's when you find a joy of the holy ghost first peter chapter 1, 1 peter after james comes first peter chapter 1 verse 6 <clears throat> Wherein ye greatly, here's that word, rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye, ye are in heaviness. What does heaviness mean? Let me raise your hand. Heaviness. Yes, sir, quite. Depression, excellent. And heaviness wears just the weight of the world on you. Though if need be for a season, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Manifold means wave after wave after wave of trials and disasters and temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto you ending up praising and honoring and glorying at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, what do we do? ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the kind of joy that the Macedonian Christians had. They smiled and rejoiced in the midst of their trial and their affliction. They rested in times of their heaviness, and they were thrilled when they faced battles and enemies. And I don't, there's no way I can ever tell you I'm there. But I know some people in the Bible who were, David was one of them. An entire line of Hardened soldiers up on the top of the hill, looking down at that valley, and there was a Philistine a guy who was thirteen feet tall coming down there. Send me out, a man, and nobody would come. What did David say? David says, "Let me go." <laughs> and Saul said, "He will eat you for lunch." And David said, "It's going to be a good day." And 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 David said, "Let me go." And when Saul finally let him go, and to the embarrassment of the entire. Israeli army, army. there went this teenage kid down with a little slingshot and a smile on his face, facing a battle. What was he doing? He had joy because his faith was not in himself. It was not in his circumstances. It was in God. He said, to God before me, <laughs> ain't nobody going to stand against me. That's joy. Wouldn't you like to taste that? Man, best experience. He had joy in the midst of a fight. It affects us in awesome ways. Go back to Second Corinthians chapter 8. The first thing you notice there is it made poor Christians into great givers. Mona, you know the best givers in a church aren't the richest. Do you know how people get rich? They don't spend. <laughs> it's the way it is, folks. You know the best givers in a church the ones who have no money, but they've got abundance of joy. Isn't that a shame? And yet it's not, because they got joy, and those who are wealthy have nothing but sorrow, and stress, and worry, and and they lose it all when they die. It turns poor Christians to great givers. Amen? Secondly, it turns selfish Christians into great servants. Look at what it says down here in verse 3. For their power, I bear record, even beyond their power, they were willing of what? Pray. Look at verse 5. And this they did not as we hoped. We we only hoped for them to pray for the saints down to Jerusalem, the Christians down there. But they first gave their own what? So, I know some churches, they pass the offering plate. All right? We don't do that. All right? But... It's been said that the first thing you need to give is not your wallet. It's not your pocketbook. It's yourself. Now they don't make offering place big enough for us, but the Bible does look, tell us that God looks for whether we're willing to humble ourselves and just serve, just meet needs. It takes, it takes pride. It turns selfish Christians. Joy will make a servant out of you. If you ever tasted joy, if you ever said, God, I want to know what joy is like. If I ever just get my relationship with you right, I'll find myself serving and giving and doing what I never thought I would ever do. It also turns defeated Christians into singers and grateful men and women like, see, Paul and Silas. I mean, the most awful defeat that you can imagine, Paul and Silas are doing the will of God, they are trying to preach, they're trying to get people saved, and they up, end up in prison. And they don't just end up in prison, they are whipped into prison. They have lashes and blood trickling down their backs, they are in agony, they're thrown into the deepest, darkest, most stinky, the most uh unhygienic place, this prison they're put in. And as they're put in there, and their feet are made fast in the chains and the stocks, as they lay in there and that... Door is slammed. And as that Philippian jailer walks out of there, what goes on? Jesus is all the world to me. (laughs) Two voices with some tears come out through that little hole. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They started to sing in the midst of defeat. Listen, I'm telling you, when you have joy, you can't make that up. You can't force yourself to sing. Come on, sing, Silas. I can't sing. I hurt. But joy will make you sing. Amen. Hey, somebody knocks on your door and says, you just won 250,000 euros. I guarantee you, you'll sing. (laughs) (laughs) You'll go up and down the neighborhood. Amen. Amen. Joy will make you sing. And it's all in response to the example of the Lord Jesus. Look down there in verse 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he's our example. He became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Paul is praising him, saying, You're just like Jesus. (laughs) Wow. But um, let's keep digging. That's just one small portion of Scripture about joy. What else could we find if we dug a little bit deeper? First of all, I I want you to understand that joy is for the heart. Maybe you get that already, but some people don't get it. Joy does does not come from the heart, but it is designed by God for the heart. It's not for the mind. You cannot analyze joy any more than you can analyze love. You cannot explain joy. You can't memorize it. But to endure life for very long, your heart needs joy. Listen to First 1 Corinthians 16.10. Don't go there. I'm going to read some scripture. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Psalm 13.5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice at thy salvation. Psalm 19.8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing. Heart. Psalm twenty eight seven, The Lord is my strength and shield, my heart trusted in him, and I am helped, therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth. Psalm thirty two, thirty three, twenty one, for our heart shall rejoice in him. Psalm one hundred and five three, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Psalm 119, 111, thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Zephaniah three fourteen. sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. It's full of heart. You want joy? You're not going to be able to understand it. You can't predict it. You can't find it. It just happens when we do some key things I'll talk about in a few minutes. So joy doesn't come naturally from the heart. It is not for the mind, but as I said, to endure life for very long, it must exist in the heart. It doesn't mean there's no sorrow. There are many times that you're going to weep, you're going to get agitated, you're going to crumble under the weights of life at losses when somebody dies. And they are disasters. If some of you had lived in Houston and you came home to your house and it had been in 9, 10 feet of water. Don't tell me you look at that and smile and say, Woo, it's great. No, no, there's going to be some heartache going. We lost everything. There are times when you're going to have pain that's going to bring tears to your eyes that do not stop. Folks, Christians are not immune to sad feelings. Don't you dare get the idea. The pastor says we should never cry. Not at all. You're going you're to be defeated. You're going to hit a wall and there's just no place to go but down. Those times will come. The Bible promises so also will joy. Let's go to John 16. You can lead 2 Corinthians. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 20. Speaking of the upcoming crucifixion, and Jesus dying on that cross, and all the disciples watching everything fall apart that they had so enjoyed for three and a half years. John 16, 20, Jesus says, Verily, verily, listen carefully, I say unto you, that ye shall what? Weep and lament. You know what lament is? I bet you haven't heard too many people lament lately. But you hear somebody lamenting, they're heaving while they're crying. He says, you shall weep and you'll lament, but the world is going to rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but you better guarantee, you better note this, your sorrow shall be turned into what? (laughs) Amen. So you're not guaranteed from not having sorrow. You're not guaranteed... From deep sorrow even but your sorrow will be turned into joy go to psalm 30 verse 5 psalm 30 verse 5 psalm 30 verse I, yeah verse 5 and then verse 11 for his anger endureth but a moment thank god You ever get in trouble with God? Guess what? It's over with as soon as you just get right. You humble yourself, confess your sin. He's faithful. Amen. Psalm 30, verse 5. His anger endureth but a moment, but in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Look at verse 11. Thou hast turned. This is David saying, I've experienced it. Thou hast turned for me my morning into what? Now, I do dance, just nobody sees it. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me, clothed me with gladness. Folks, it's okay to have sorrow, even like the Bible says there in 1 Peter 1. It says manifold heaviness. It's okay. Just realize behind the weight and the dark clouds of this world is the joy of Christ. Go back to John 15. I got to show you these things. So we can get to a truth here. John chapter 15. John 15 and verse 11. John fifteen eleven. These things have I spoken unto you. And some of them were very hard to hear. Some of them were very hard to believe. But he said, these things have I spoken unto you that whose joy? He doesn't just say that joy just by itself, but he says, "The joy I have, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full." Wow. Uh, look at chapter 17 and verse 13, still in John, 17:13. This is Jesus as he's praying to his father, He says, "And now come I to thee." 15:13. I said 15, 17, 13, thank you. seventeen, thirteen. and now come I to thee. These things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. Behind the weight of, this, of the troubles of this world, all the dark clouds, all the disasters, is the joy of Christ. Waiting to be accessed and enjoyed by believers. But it centers around the person of the Holy Ghost. Now this is the message. This is where we're going to make some traction here, make some distance. Let me make a quote. A guy named Sam Storms. I don't know him, but some of these guys are just brilliant in their thoughts. Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. Are you listening? It is the presence of God. Now, if you got that, you got the message. And go home. No, don't go home the source for the most joy in the believer is the quiet person of the Trinity let me try to explain this there are two phrases spoken of what we, call the, what we call the Holy Spirit one's the Holy Ghost and one's the Holy Spirit now they're not two different people they're two different designations Holy Ghost is his title it is his name Folks, a ghost is the presence of someone who's not there. Are you with me? A ghost is the presence of someone who's not there, physically. And the Holy Ghost is the presence of God in your life, even though you can't see him. So when the Bible uses the words Holy Ghost, it's describing the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit describes his work. Guess what? His work is spiritual, not physical. It's not by sight, it's by faith. So the Holy Spirit is His work. The Holy Ghost is His name. It's, it's His person. And I guarantee you, you read every time where the Holy Ghost shows up, it's always talking about a person. You read the Holy Spirit, it's always talking about His work. Joy is the work of the, I call Him the Holy Spirit here, but it's the Holy Ghost in us. Psalm 47 Sorry, Psalm 4, verse 7 says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart. You put it there. The Holy Ghost plants joy in you. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. In verse 22. He plants joy in you and he nurtures it until it bears fruit. Galatians 5, 22. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is a term for farming. It's it's what you plant and you, you expect fruit. You expect a crop. Well, the crop of the Holy Spirit in your life is love. What's the next one? Joy. What's the next one? Peace. Stop there. Is that enough to keep you happy for the rest of your life? <laughs> love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, Faith, meekness, temperance against us, there is no prohibition. There's no law. Who puts that in the believer? The Holy Ghost of God. The fruit, the work of the Spirit in you is to produce joy, as long as we don't interfere. Can you imagine as I go to reach into a bag of seed and the seed starts fighting my hands? I don't want to go, I don't want to go. You're going, you're going, you're going on the ground. What if after I plant that seed and that seed constantly fights my efforts to nurture it and weed it and water it? And yet that's what we do. When the Holy Spirit starts planning and working our life, what do we do? <sighs> Don't you convict me. You're not getting me upset. You're not getting me to start soul winning. You're not putting a conviction on me. What are you doing? The seed is speaking to the farmer. And no wonder we have no joy. See, he plants joy... Guess what? You plant corn, normally, guess what you get? Corn. When the Holy Spirit plants joy, normally, what do you get? Joy. If there's no joy, it's because somebody's been fighting. By the way, just his very presence in your life gives such joy, comfort, rest. He's called the comforter. Folks, real joy is just having the presence of the Holy Ghost in us. Listen to Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice, not in the works, not in the blessings, but in who? I get excited about you. Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They seem to go together. Hmm. Romans fourteen seventeen, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and the joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is is not just joyful, but it's the joy found in the Holy Ghost. Romans fifteen thirteen, which we just read at the beginning, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through who? The power of the Holy Ghost. Hmm, all joy is found in him. First of all, it's Thessalonians 1, 6, we read this also. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in so much affliction, yet with joy of the Holy Ghost. These believers were in their troublesome times, yet when they believed, they instantly had the joy of the Holy Ghost in their life. Amen? I know there's some people who say, you need the Holy Ghost. Guess what? I got him. I just don't give him much time. I just don't give him much attention. I don't even think that he's really there most of the time. That's my problem. When he sealed himself inside of me, I should have been the happiest man alive. Amen. Amen. Psalm, I read it earlier there, Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is the fullness of joy. Where do you get joy? In his presence. In his presence. See, I came to church to get into the presence of God. You come to church to get right so that he feels welcome to come. Amen. You want the presence of God? I'm going to show you. He's not here waiting for you to come. He's not in a little box in the back of the, of the vestry. He's not up there waiting for you to show up at church, folks. He's waiting for you to get right, whether on, on the job or in the car or at home or on a mountain or in a valley. God's waiting to come into your life as the presence of Almighty God. That's where your joy is found. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about walking with God. I'm talking about talking to Him. I'm talking about leaning on Him, casting all your care upon Him, listening to Him, obeying Him, loving Him. The presence of the Holy Ghost in your life will give you such joy you will never want to come down, ever. He's got plenty to give, by the way. We read it again in Romans 15, 13. The God of, of hope give you all joy. I think he's got plenty. It's great to get answers to prayer. Someone who's in a car accident, we all go to God in prayer, and they recover, and what do we do? There's joy. Someone's battling a health problem, we go to prayer, and they recover. There's shouting, there's praising God, there's joy. A wayward child gets goes astray. God's people come together, pray them back home. Answers to prayer, give great joy, amen. But there's something greater than answers to prayer. It's the answerer to prayer. He's the joy giver. Ephesians 1.13 says, After you believe, you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to... Get another level of Christianity. I'm trying to get filled. Go to Ephesians. You're, you should be almost there. Next page. Ephesians chapter five and verse 13. Ephesians five and verse 18. Sorry. Ephesians five and verse 18. The Bible never tells you after you're saved to get the Holy Spirit. The Bible says after you get saved to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians five eighteen, and be not drunk with wine. Hey, you tell me how easy that is. That's easy. You know what's hard? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. We are commanded to be filled with Him. Filled with the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? Acts 2, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Acts 2 verse 4. Back on the day of Pentecost, and they were all filled with the person of who? Of the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Person and his work, all in the same verse. Look at chapter 4, verse 31. 4.31. When they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the person. See, we want the power. Wouldn't you like to have the power, huh? Wouldn't you like, I got the power. <laughs> How would you like to have the power, you mean to raise the dead? i like to, the power to heal the sick. I want the power to make things easy for people. That's not what's on offer. What is offer? The person of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says if we were filled with power, you know who we'd be? We'd be devils. We'd, we'd be so selfish we would hurt other people. If we had the power that we wanted and we got it, we'd be the worst demons on this planet. Amen, amen, amen. So God doesn't just give us the power. You know what he gives us? Himself. And here in Romans chapter 4, I said Romans, in Acts chapter 4, verse, uh, what do I want, 31? 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with who? Filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Somebody says, I speak in tongues. Are you giving the gospel out? No, it's a heavenly language, you liar. You're probably demon-possessed. You don't even know it. Amen, amen, amen. Tongues was for preaching the word of God. Amen. just in another language if you ever had the gift of tongues a German could hear you speak in his language a Frenchman could hear you speak in French and you never learned French that is the gift of tongues so if you ever got filled with the Holy Ghost and you found yourself able to speak French then I'll be impressed but don't come blah, 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 and call that tongues it's a mockery amen amen don't you tell me you're filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the devil. You're filled with pride. You're trying to show off. Amen. You want to you wanna be filled with the Holy Ghost? Preach with courage. The Bible in your own language. You don't even have the courage to go and speak somebody at work. Don't tell me you speak in tongues. Amen. All right, I got that off my chest. All right. <laughs> filled with the Holy Ghost means filled with the person of the Holy Ghost, not his gifts, not his power. Filled means there's no room for sinful thoughts, no room for lustful hearts, no room for wicked desires. It's where you seek him with all your heart. Seek him for the right desires. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he'll give thee the desires of thine heart. We usually mean that to say, the Lord will give you what you want if you'll just delight in him. Ah, Maybe. But it is more proper to say, you know, when I'm delighting in him, He gives me the right desires. Yeah. You see, when I'm filled with Him, all of a sudden my desires change. My lusts go away. My thinking cleans up. Amen? When that's when I'm filled with Him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be controlled by Him. Where you listen only to Him. Can you imagine being in a car filled with backseat drivers? Slow down. Are you making a left here? No, get over in the left-hand lane. Slow down. Are you watching the light? Are you watching that light? Hit your indicator. That's right. Start with the clutch. That's, right. <laughs> That's what Oprah Winfrey's doing. That's what Neil Brentival's doing. That's what Dr. Phil is doing. They're all screaming, what you got to do, what you got to do. You need to listen to one co-pilot. Actually, he's the pilot, by the way. One voice who's controlling you, telling you, do this, don't do that. Amen, amen, amen. You know, I thought about it. Acts 11, you're in 5. We'll go to Acts chapter 11. There somebody in the New Testament was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he was an encourager. He was a blessing to be around. He was full of joy. Acts 11, verse 24. Acts eleven twenty four. 24. For he, if you will, go back to verse 22, the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church that was in Jerusalem, church at Antioch, news of it had gotten down to Jerusalem, and they set forth who? Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who, when he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was what? I mean, they were doing things... They weren't doing everything right. They were brand new, getting saved, and yet he was glad. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man. He was full of who? He was not full of the power of the Holy Spirit, but full of the person of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. You know what made Barnabas a good man, a blessing to be around? Joy. By the way, Jesus didn't walk around telling jokes. That's not how he kept his crowds. He wasn't a happy man who just made people entertained. But I guarantee you, you looked at him, he was a joyful man. Yes, he was a man of sorrows. There were times where he carried the sorrows of the world, literally. But men and children don't follow sourpusses. Don't fo- follow depressed men. You know who I follow? Someone who's a leader, someone who's got courage, somebody who's got faith, somebody who's got vision, somebody who's got joy. And we need a church full of them. We need people who want the Holy Ghost in them so they have joy. Dominant in them. One of the best evidences of His presence in your life will be that you have joy. One of the proofs that you're not filled with the Spirit is your lack of joy. Now let me try to get to the point here. This is where you and I now need to work. You ready? There's some plowing. See, my heart Is where joy is put. And my heart needs to be ready for joy. Needs to be plowed up. Needs to be prepared so God can give me joy. And it begins first word, repentance. Psalm 45. Psalm 45. I find in my Bible before I'll ever experience joy, I need to have repentance. Psalm 45 in verse 7. Repentance is an attitude Repentance is an attitude about my sin. It is me getting so sick of me that I turn towards God and I say, Lord, I'm empty, I'm tired, start over. And you need to do that fairly regularly, amen. Psalm 45 and verse 7. Thou lovest righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of what? Wow, now this is speaking of Jesus, but I want you to understand, when you love righteousness and you hate wickedness, guess what you're doing? You're repenting. And then God anoints you with the joy of what? Gladness. Let's look at another one. Psalm 51, verse 8. Psalm 51, verse 8. This is David now, speaking from experience. He's lost his joy. You ever lost your joy? I'm not saying you, you, you no longer are happy. I mean, there was a time in your life where you had joy for an extended period of time. You're just content, and you lost it. And you know how David felt. And I can tell you why you lost it. Sin. And that's why repentance needs to be taken seriously. Psalm 51 verse 8. Well, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a branch that was dipped in, in the blood of an innocent sacrifice in the place of the guilty sinner. The guilty sinner should pay, but instead an innocent lamb was, was, was killed. And that hyssop, Dipped in that blood, spread out on that mercy seat in the temple of God, showed God that a sacrifice had been made, and you could now go free. And He says, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness again. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Let me let me hear joy again." Verse down. Uh, jump down to verse twelve. Restore unto me. The joy of thy salvation, uphold me with thy free spirit. You know what repentance is? Getting so tired of your sin and and the depression and the defeat and the sorrow. Again, there's nothing wrong. Hey, any Christian who ever goes through a Job time in their life, that's not wrong. What you've got to do is after a while, when you go through where everything's lost, when everything's defeated, when everything's bad, and you say, you know what, I'm tired of staying here. I need to change the channel. I need to look up. I need to repent of my satisfaction with defeat. I need to look and say, Lord, I love righteousness. I want to be right. I need you, and I want i want to hear joy again. I want to have the joy of thy salvation again. Then joy comes in when you've decided, saying, I've had enough in the ash heap. Amen. I've had enough in the the sin of this world. I've had enough of the cesspool that's on television. I've had enough with the old buddies. I've had enough with the stinking filthy thoughts. Amen. God says, now we're talking. Now I can put joy in there. Repentance. Second thing, replacements. Isaiah. Isaiah. You're going to have to allow some replacements in your life. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verse 3. To appoint them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for what? The oil of joy for the mourning. M-O-U-R-N, the sorrow. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He... Might be glorified. What does the Lord want to do? He wants to swap out your ashes and replace it with beauty. Wants to take your mourning and turn it into joy. Wants to take your heaviness and put the garment of praise all over you. You know what our problem is? We like our anger. We like our depression. We like the way we are. You're not changing me. Look down another verse, verse 10. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of. You know, it's a shame that somebody come to church, sit in this church week after week and won't let God take your sin and replace it with salvation. And that, well, I like my sin. I like my drink every once in a while. I like my buddies. I like my porn. I like You're going to hell. And you won't, you won't wake up till you split it wide open. And we're going to weep and sorrow over that because you had a chance and you wouldn't let God exchange that garment for salvation, man. What a strange, strange lot. My soul uh, says, For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. You ever seen a... I hope you don't. I've never seen a sad bride. <laughs> I'm sure they're out there. Anyway... You know, there's joy when, when that, listen, the guy's got, it only takes him six minutes to get dressed. It takes six hours for a woman to get all done up and dolled up for her wedding. Amen. Am I right? They start at five in the morning, weddings at 6 p.m. you know, and they go, what are they doing? Looking forward to a great day. They're decking themselves out. Why don't you let God deck you out? Why don't you let God cover you with such joy you'd never imagine how good looking you'd be if you had joy. Amen? Allow some replacements. Thirdly, seek personal revival. As, as Eric was saying this morning, you need to look for revival in you. Psalm 85. Back to Psalm. Psalms 85. Is any of this any good? Psalm 85 and verse 6. I want you to notice a little word stuck in this verse. See, if I announce we're going to have a revival next week, all next week we're going to pray every morning uh, and uh, we're going to go win in the afternoon, every night we're going to have three hours of preaching. I would hear another but. Oh, oh. all right, I've never asked you of that before, okay? We've had revival meetings, we've had people preach, and so on and so forth, and it's been wonderful. But let me tell you this, if you want joy, see, you want to be excited, to come to revival. Let me tell you, that's not what happens. You need revival so that you have joy. Look in your Bible, Psalm 85 and verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? So which is first, joy or everybody getting right? We get right so that we might rejoice. (laughs) Maybe I need to call for revival, amen? Maybe we need a call for a week of just preaching and praying and confessing and getting right with God so we can have joy. I thought about it. I thought about it. And then there's rigorous work. I'm going to say this. Psalm 126. Psalm 126. I'm going to say this. Lazy people will never experience joy. Not real joy. I had one amen. And it's probably... Uh, oh, never mind. Psalm 126 and verse 5. Look what the Bible says. Say, Pastor, I don't believe you. Don't believe me. Believe the Bible. Psalm 126 verse 5. They that sow in what? Shall reap in. Now, when it talks about that, it's talking about hard work. When you go out into a field and you plow. When you go out into a field and you're digging up and you're pulling weeds. When you go out into a field and you're, and you're working crops, you know how you come home? With tears, man. You're beat. You're worn out. There's, there's no, there's no joy in the work, folks. They that sow in tears, they that plant, and they just get worn out. They just get beat up. They've got calluses. They've got um, uh, sores. They've got sunburn. They've got bugs all over them. They that sow in tears shall what reap in joy. Somebody else sitting at home watching television all day, never getting off the couch, never pulling their weight, never doing the dishes, never doing chores, always complaining, they'll never know joy. Raise your boys to work. Raise your girls to work. If you want your family to ever experience joy, make workers out of them. Amen. If they're constantly going to rely on the government to give them their weekly wages and their, their pay and their, their dole and, and, and their means of life, you failed. Amen. Because there'll never know joy. That doesn't give joy. You've got to work. And I don't care. You don't even have to get paid to work. But you have to work. Have to get up and work a job. I don't care if you're mowing grass. I don't care. I'm yearning for the day when some kid comes up. Come on, mow your grass. I'm going, I'd hug him. Because that's how I got started. That's how I learned some hard work. That's how it starts, folks. Little jobs, man. But you work. And, and there's, there's just some where there's rigorous work there. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Verse six, he that goeth forth and weepeth. And the weep is not like, oh, I'm so sad. Oh, it's not, it's not the sorrow that just, I don't know, people apply it to soul winning and it can apply. But it's their sorrowing, meaning that it takes so long to plow field after field. It takes so long and it's so much work to make a loaf of bread when you have to do it all. Are you listening? They that goeth forth weeping. I'm missing the verse. Verse 6 says this. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing that precious seed. You're not just flipping with it. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing and harvest bringing the sheaves with. Listen, work a job. Get a job. Get busy. Pay your bills. At the end of the day, say, I've got nothing left. But you're ready for joy. That's why joyful people are soul winners because they know joy comes when you go work and giving out gospel tracts and inviting people to church. That's why joyful people are praying people because prayer is hard work. That's why joyful people study their Bible page by page, day after day, because hard work allows for a soft heart for God to put joy. Amen. 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 Rigorous work. Resilient belief. Whom having not seen, yet is still love. You know, I haven't seen Christ. I mean, you see pictures of him. People draw also. of that. I haven't seen him. But I believe him. And I believe, you know what 1 John 1 4 says? John says, I wrote these things that your joy would be full. I just, folks, I don't, how much of that Bible do you understand? Are you kidding? How much do you believe? Cover to cover. Amen. You're going to have to have some resilient belief. Or you just, I just believe it. I just believe it. I don't understand it. You may be able to correct me on something here or there, but I believe it. Amen. And that is where joy comes in. From having not seen, yet ye love. And with joy unspeakable. That's the Christian life. Because you just believe. And we're not foolishly believing. I just believe whatever. No, no, no. This is the most sane, wisest book ever written. And then I couldn't find an R, so I'm just going to use desire. you need a desire for joy, than you need for excitement. You need to stop saying, I wish I had some fun in my life. Eh. How about a desire for joy? More than popularity, more than success, more than for reward. We've got teenagers who are pulled by the world for a bit of fun. You'll pay for the rest of your life. Amen. Are you with me? Do I have to spell it out? Amen. Everybody else is, they're, kind of, they're going all the way. They're having they're having a blast. They're getting a thrill. They're, they're trying this, and they're doing that, and they're losing everything. You need to say, I'm holding out for joy. I'm going to hold out for joy. That's when something marvelous happens. <laughs> Warning, to pursue joy. I want joy, Pastor. Wrong desire. If you pursue joy, it will result in you losing it. But if you pursue the giver of joy, the joy of the Holy Ghost, that's when you'll have its fullness. Let me finish with questions. What does happiness need to be active in your life? You know what it needs? It needs needs at least something to be going right. It needs at least someone loving you and putting up with you and giving to you your needs. Tell me, does that happen very often? What does joy need? Just the unhindered presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's all joy needs. What are the telltale signs of joy? I'll give you a quick list. An ability to ignore troubles and instead focus on others. See, joy is not where, I'm not worried about troubles, I'm just happy. You've lost the plot. When you have joy, you don't think of yourself. You think of others. That's joy. It's a love for sacrificially giving to the needs of others. It is the excitement of just being saved. And you know what? There's joy in the presence of the angels of God when the sinner gets saved. There ought to be joy in the presence of Christians when the sinner gets saved. There's joy. What does does joy look like? A whole church going, "Ah, oh, so-and-so got saved. Amen. Praising God when persecution turns up the heat, somebody knocks on the door and says, you're no longer allowed to meet in the Westgate Foundation. You're on the street. We go, I don't know where this is leading, but maybe they're upset at us. <laughs> finally, finally we're earning the right to be called Christian. Joy. Enjoying just being with other believers. That's what it looks like when Christians can't wait to get in here and get here early, by the way unaffected by just how burdensome things are in the world, you watch that news for more than 15 minutes, you know what you feel like? Jumping off a cliff. Amen. joy doesn't need to watch the news all the time and focus on all that. Joy just says, it's going to be okay. (laughs) And expectations that things will just be fine because if not in my present situation, I'm looking to the future, looking to God who holds the future in his hands. I'm looking forward to heaven most of all. Because in thy presence it's the fullness of joy. What kind of soil does joy grow best in? It is repentant joy that allows God's replacements. It's a heart that seeks personal revival. A life that is lived doing rigorous work. I mean, work where you're wore out at the end of the day. Where you have a resilient and unchangeable belief in the word of God. And where you just want joy instead of happiness. Do you have that kind of heart? Do you want it? Let's stay. That's in prayer. Heavenly Father, most of the time we are focused on the fact we've lost our joy. We're focused on the fact that we don't even know what joy is. We remember bits and pieces of time where there was just unending delight. There was just a thrill and an excitement. There was such a a depth of contentment in our Christianity, and it's gone. We can find fault and find other people who've lost their joy. We can focus on everyone else's failures. But what we need to do right now is look at ourselves and say, Lord, wow. Wonder if I've sided with four hundred thousand people depending upon antidepressants. Wonder if I've sided with the side of people who live from defeat to defeat. Lord, we're we're gonna face defeats. We're gonna face troubles, we're gonna face disasters and sorrow. Can we not? Do it with joy. So Lord, I'm asking you to take our hearts and, and allow us to not focus on the power of the Holy Spirit. Focus on the person of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ, as a man, was filled with the Spirit without measure. And that filling is what gave him joy. He laid aside all of his deities, powers, And he relied on the powers of the Holy Ghost of God to show us how it's done. To show us that joy is awesome. Lord, when you wrote there in Hebrews 12 that who for the joy that was set before him, he even endured the cross. I need that kind of joy. But I can't get it until my heart is ready for the person, the presence of the person, the filling of the person of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, right now, just, just hear our prayer. Let everyone in this room be crying out, Lord, I never knew how important it is just to have you. My joy is in you. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. It's not in your power. It's not in your abilities. I know they're awesome. but I just need you. I'm so tired of looking for answers to prayer. Right now, I just want to have the answer Dominant in my life. Dominant in my thoughts. Dominant in my heart. So, Lord, maybe somebody in this room is just a lot of hidden sin, a lot of secret sin, a lot of things that just are walls between them and you, And your hand is not shortened. Your ear is not deaf that it cannot hear. It's our iniquities, our sins, that has stopped you from blessing, stopped you from fixing our messes. So maybe right now somebody needs to do some repenting, some true sorrowing. Maybe some people in this room need to desire revival, yearn for it in their life. I think all of us have a lot to work on. Lord, I'm counting that this group of people, these precious people, would experience the joy of the Holy Ghost like the world has never seen. In Jesus' name, amen.